we are doing a series called Encounters with Jesus uh, in connection with our vision statement here to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. That's what we're about here. So at the beginning of the year, we, we aim to refocus on, on that, to, uh, and we're doing that in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at different encounters that Jesus had and teaching, specific teachings, teachings that he had, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and we're aiming to get to know him more intimately and accurately. We want to know him intimately and accurately. And today we're going to focus on prayer. One of our values here is faithful prayer. We believe that God is a God who hears the prayers of his people, the prayers of his children, and he answers. And he's chosen to use the means of us asking to bring about his kingdom and his will here on earth. Prayer is vital to the life of every follower of Jesus. It was, it was an important aspect of his life that he modeled for us. And through it, we find strength through it. We find, uh, joy through it. We find, uh, victory over our temptations, victory over our fears. God grants us peace. And to live a life without prayer, displays a lack of trust and faith in our Heavenly Father. To live a life that doesn't ask Him and, and look to Him and depend upon Him in prayer, it, it expresses arrogance and pride that we can do it on our own. Just make wise decisions. Just make good decisions and work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and life will go well for you. And yet the Bible teaches us throughout the scriptures to live a life of prayer. Prayer is a Christian practice that is essential. And yet many treat prayer like a spare tire. Do you have a spare tire in your vehicle? Some of you may not even know if you got one of these in your vehicle until you get a flat. When you're in trouble, when you're in crisis, it's, it's okay. Do I have a spare tire? And then do I have the, the wrench? Do I have a jack? Do I have what I need to change a flat tire if I find myself in trouble? And many, many treat prayer like that. They, they go through life and something, a crisis arises, some trouble happens. And then it's like, oh, I need to pray. God, help me. There's a little saying, when all else fails, pray, right? Okay, yes, but, but also, how about we pray on the front end? How about we live lives of prayer where we're continually talking to our Heavenly Father about what's going on in our lives, making plans with God instead of making plans uh, on our own and then asking God to bless them, right? God wants so much more for us, and yet we settle for so little, in this life when we choose not to pray. Another, another theologian, uh, described not, pr Christians not praying like, like a couple who makes wedding vows. They have a wedding ceremony, but then they live mute and no communication to one another throughout their marriage. You see, we have entered into covenant with Almighty God. We belong to Him, and, 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 and we have been given access to Him. 
We can commune with him and talk with him and know him personally and know him intimately and know him accurately. And so what we see here in Luke chapter 11 is Jesus modeling prayer for his disciples and then he teaches them explicitly how to implement it in their lives. Does anybody sense their need to learn from Jesus how to pray? I think that's where it starts. I know I do. Even in studying this, this is so simple. This is so simple, so basic to the Christian life. And yet... We oftentimes can find it so difficult to implement in our lives. And so let's learn from Jesus here. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And let me pray first. Father, as we read your word, would you help us to see things that we couldn't see on our own? Would you clear the mental fog in our lives? Would you change the desires of our heart that don't line up with your will? Heavenly Father, would you lead us onto your agenda this morning through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit and fill our lives with your righteousness and your peace and your joy. Fill our lives with your love. Teach us to trust you, to live in dependence upon you daily. Deliver us from our sins, our temptations deliver us from the evil one we pray amen luke 11 starting in verse 1 now when jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray as john taught his disciples and he said to them when you pray say father Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you. It will be given, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be open. For everyone who asks receives, oh, I just said that. Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead uh, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. Prayer is a vital aspect of a disciple's life. 
And Jesus modeled it consistently. And he teaches us the importance of simplicity and persistency of prayer. Prayer is a vital aspect of a disciple's life. And Jesus modeled it consistently and teaches us the importance of uh, simplicity and persistency in prayer. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said that man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. And so what we see here in this text and throughout the Gospel of Luke is we see Jesus praying. Jesus lived a prayerful life. When you look at the life of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, He became man, He took on flesh, and He dwelt among us, and He he constantly stayed in connection with the Father, communing with the Father. It was a regular habit for Him to meet with the Father daily. And it says that He would rise early and pray. Here again in Luke chapter 11, the disciples observed Jesus' practice. That he was living out before him. What's Jesus doing? Well, he's praying. Okay. And he would often do this. And so it says when he was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They observed that Jesus, there was something different about his life. There was something different about how he did life. He was always talking to the Father, always dependent on the Father. To get his assignments from the Father. His direction from the Father. And so in the Gospel of Luke we see Jesus praying at his baptism. We see that in in Luke uh, 5.16 that Jesus would often withdraw and go to a desolate place and pray. He would commune with the Father regularly. We see Jesus going up to the mountain in Luke 6 to pray. And he continues all night. All night prayer. Before he chooses the twelve disciples. We see Jesus praying uh, before asking the crowds. He's praying alone before asking who, who the crowds say he is. We see Jesus goes with Peter, James, and John up the mountain to pray and he's transfigured. The disciples experience the glory of God shining through Jesus. We see uh, Jesus praying after Jesus sent his disciples out on a mission trip. And and they were so excited because there was an impact that happened. There were demons being, uh, people being uh, delivered from demons. And and they were excited that the demons were subject to them. And Jesus is like, hey guys, don't don't rejoice that, that the demons are subject to you. But rejoice because your names rather are written in heaven. And then Jesus just, he delights in the Father. He rejoices in the Father. He thanks the Father For the way that he reveals himself to the childlike, to the humble, and the way that he conceals himself from the the proud know-it-alls, as Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. And so we see Jesus praying when, when, when he's at the, the Passover supper, when, when he's, he gives thanks to God. And we see him praying, telling Peter uh, before, before he goes to the garden and the cross. He tells Peter, Satan's asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you return. Strengthen the brothers. Like Peter, Peter thought he was... He was going to like not deny Jesus and go all the way. And he realized 
that, that he is weak and in need of God and in need of prayer. But Jesus said, Jesus knew it would happen that he would deny him and he prayed for him and he prayed specifically that his faith would not fail. Jesus is our greatest intercessor. He intercedes for us. He interceded for Peter. And in John chapter 17, we see Jesus even recorded. Jesus prays for us. Those of us who would believe. You and me, Jesus has prayed for us. And Hebrews 7.25 says that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He intercedes for us. He lived a prayerful life. He modeled that prayerful life and we see that in the gospel of luke and even in his most difficult darkest time as as he's facing the cross and he's wrestling with the anguish the the trouble of soul where he he's he sweats uh drops of blood he's bringing his petition to the father in prayer saying father if there's any way let this cup be removed from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done we see Jesus practicing what he preached, practicing what he taught, praying for the will of the Father to be done even when it was difficult. We see Jesus praying for the mercy and forgiveness of his persecutors. He, Jesus told his disciples to pray for those who abuse you, who persecute you, to do good to them. And he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. And so we see this prayerful life in Jesus and the disciples saw that and they said, teach us to pray. We want to learn how to do this. We see you doing this. We want to learn. I want to learn how to do this. And if you feel weak in prayer and you feel like you don't know how to pray as you ought to, this is a great place to start. Lord, would you teach me? Would you teach me? And he does teach teach them and he teaches us. There's there's some humility here. Instead of acting like like this disciple, acting like he got it all together by now, you, you think maybe he should know how to pray by now. You know, he's brought up in a Jewish family. There's lots of prayers offered in the Jewish faith in the Old Testament. And yet he's saying, teach, teach me how to pray. Teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples. And so Jesus does teach his disciples how to pray and, and he teaches them a simple pattern for prayer. This is oft, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It might be better, better described as the disciples prayer. Okay. Um, this is a model and, and growing up and I don't know if anybody grew up Catholic or in a traditional church. This is something that we recited every Sunday. When I went to Catholic church, we would say that our father, we would recite this prayer and parrot it. Now, I think that, that Jesus has something much more in mind than merely parroting and reciting this prayer as words to be uh, just merely said from our lips or memorized. It's a pattern. It's an outline. It's, 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 a, it's a starting point. Here's, here's, a, here's a springboard. If you want to learn how to pray, here's a great place to, to start with. And a great place to continue to go back to over and over. Often when I pray, I think about how do my prayers fit into the petitions that Jesus taught us to pray with here. He says to say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, now some of you may have noticed that Luke's account here is leaving some things out that Matthew puts in. 
It's an abbreviated um, a summary of the Lord's Prayer. And some theologians think that maybe there were, it was just two different instances and Jesus is just summarizing it here. Matthew adds, your kingdom come, your will be done, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he adds a couple of other elements as well. But let's look at the first first thing that Jesus highlights in this prayer, namely to, to come to God as Father. Okay? To, to approach God as a good Father who cares about us. A good Father who delights in giving good gifts to His children. A God who gives His children access to Him. You see, this is a game changer. This changes our approach to prayer for those of us who struggle with prayer being an obligation or, or a mere duty. When we, when we get a, a, a clear understanding of who we're coming to and the access that we have of our, to our good, good Father, our Heavenly Father who loves us, who's for us, it helps us shift from mere duty to delight. We can come to our Heavenly Father and it helps us counter the fears and the insecurities that we experience in this life. Fears of rejection, fears of being condemned, fears of going without, fears of harm happening to us when you know you have a good Father who is strong and mighty and wise and He knows everything. He knows everything you and I need even before we ask Him. He knows. And so we're to pray, not not so that we can inform him about something he doesn't know, because he knows everything. We are to pray because this is God's means for meeting our needs. This is God's means that he uses to glorify his name and bring about his will in this world. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, he said, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your heavenly father is going to take care of you. Don't fret like the Gentiles who do not know God, who are so worried and concerned and anxious about getting food and shelter. Your heavenly father is going to take care of you. And he's going to give you so much more than that. Don't let those basic needs dominate and eclipse the emphasis on who you're talking to and, and praying for his kingdom and his will. And so we, we approach God as father. I, I was thinking about this uh, this week and, and how my, my own children come to me. And I hear the words often, dad, 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 will you help me with this? I heard it this morning. Dad, will you help me with this or that? My, my five-year-old came uh, this week to me because he got a got a big gash, a nice little cut cut on his back, and he was crying, and he was hurt, and he just came to me, and he just wanted, mom, mama wasn't there, and so I just held him, held him while he was crying, because I'm his dad, and he can come to me anytime when he's hurting, when he's struggling, when he needs help, and often as parents, often as parents, we have to tell younger kids to, to use their words, right, not to just throw a big temper tantrum. Use your words, like express what you need. Ask it instead of throwing a fit. Like just ask, talk to us, tell us what you need. And so we approach God as a good father, a wise father, a loving father. 
And Matthew says, our Father in heaven, which implies this transcendence, this, this God sees from a higher perspective and he rules and reigns. And then we see Jesus teaching us to pray, hallowed be your name. Tom Constable says that God's name is essentially the sum of his attributes and effectively it is his reputation among people. This petition is as much an expression of worship as it is a petition. It asks God to act so people will regard him as holy and cause situations in which they will reverence and obey him rather than blaspheming and sinning against him. You see, in prayer, we are, Jesus teaches us to, to have a God-centered approach to prayer versus a man-centered approach to prayer. Now, Jesus doesn't neglect or leave out our physical needs, and we'll talk about that here shortly. But we see the first part of this prayer, the priority in prayer is to honor God's name, to approach our Heavenly Father, to pray for His kingdom and His will rather than ours. And so this theologian says that this is a petition that God's name would be honored or hallowed, that it would be treated as holy, that God would be given the honor and the glory that he is due as God. And yet he also says that it's also an expression of worship. We, we worship God. His name represents his person or his character. And throughout the scripture, there are a number of titles. There are a number of descriptions. There are a number of names that God reveals himself as. Like the Lord our righteousness. The Lord who provides. The Lord our healer. The Lord our banner. And a great study, by the way, if you just want to want to be built up in faith and, and get to know God more intimately and accurately is to study the names and the titles of God that are given throughout Scripture. I love, I was looking at this in worship this morning. Psalm 910 says that those who know your name put their trust in you, for you have not forsaken anyone who seeks you. Those who know your name, they put their trust in you. For you have not forsaken anyone who seeks you. You see, we need to know God. We need to know who he is. And his names reveal his character. He's the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Tony Evans says this, that prayer begins with our orientation to God. You must know the one to whom you are praying. Many of us have a mere thimble full of prayer because we have a thimble full of knowledge about God. If you know little about God, you won't have much to say. And so the more we get to know who God is and to know what his will is revealed in scripture, the more we're going to have to talk to him about. I mean, we've all experienced um, maybe having a, a trying to have a conversation with somebody that you don't know much about. It can be difficult. And so you got to ask questions. You got to get to know the person so that you can have more conversation and get to you know have uh and 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 so and the same is with our relationship with god we got to get to know him more accurately and intimately 
Abide in him. Abide in his word. And so then we see here a petition to pray for God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, Matthew says, on earth as it is in heaven. This is to be priority for us. Jesus, and Jesus, when he talks about, and I already alluded to this, when he talks about our basic needs and, and, and not being anxious about those things, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, we can't get it backwards. We, we, need, we need to prioritize God's rule and reign in this world, God's agenda in this world. You see, his kingdom here implies his rule and reign in the hearts and the lives of people, which includes salvation of unbelievers. Right? One of the ways we see God's kingdom come in this world is unbelievers coming to faith and experiencing salvation, experiencing reconciliation, and restoration and being being redeemed. One of one of the, the, the big biggest answered prayers that that I've had recently is my cousin who came to the Lord, who we used to hang out together when we were when we were little and we, we would get in a bunch of mischief together. And we joke about it and we joke about some of the things we did and and uh and he recently came to the Lord and I was looking through my journal in the last couple of weeks. Um I, I was looking at my journal and I was looking at prayer petitions that I had a year ago. And my cousin Sean and his girlfriend, Rose, were on that list. They came last Sunday. They visited last Sunday with us. And I was very encouraged. I was encouraged to see God answered prayer. I was, I was encouraged because I wrote that prayer down. I wrote down a simple note, uh, just like, Lord, rescue them. And what a joy it is to see God answer those prayers. And so we pray for his kingdom to come, for, for unbelievers to become believers. And when we pray for his kingdom to come, this also involves our, as believers, our ongoing sanctification and submission and obedience to King Jesus in our lives. Reign in us. You're King, you're Lord. We don't want to just say that with our lips. We want to live that. We want to display we are submitted to you. We're here for you. When we pray your kingdom come, that often means our we, our kingdom go. Right? When we pray your will be done, God, that often means not our will be done. And so we wrestle in prayer. We wrestle with God and we wrestle with the timing of, 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 of these petitions to come to pass. And yet Jesus says, keep on praying, don't give up, believe, persist. Now when we, when we pray God's kingdom come, this also includes Jesus' return. Come Lord Jesus, come. We are to love his appearing. We are to look for and wait and watch and love his appearing. He is going to return and bring the fullness of his kingdom in this world. His kingdom has come. It's already it's already here. Jesus said when he, he came into the world as the king, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom's here. So, so turn from your sins and come be a part of the kingdom. Right. 
And, and so the kingdom has come. And those of us who are born again, we can see it. We've entered into it. His rule and reign is active in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet we see the world around us broken in many ways, not as it ought to be. In many ways, we don't see the fullness of the kingdom. We don't see God's agenda being done. We see people and agendas that are anti-God. And so we're to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done, God. This is, this is to, to be priority in our prayers. Next, we're to pray, give us this day. Give us each day our daily bread. Lest we over-spiritualize prayer and neglect important aspects of our physical lives that God does care about. Jesus makes sure to put this in here. Some folks seem too spiritual to pray for their daily physical needs that they need. And Jesus teaches us to do that. He teaches us to ask for those things that we need. This involves our physical needs. Um, this includes like our bills, right? This includes a job, uh, maybe transportation to get to a job, right? And so in the Old Testament, we see that, that God, God daily provided manna for the Israelites. He delivered them out of Egypt and they were going through the wilderness. They needed food and God provided it. He, he brought Bread from heaven, manna from heaven, and it came each day. And each day they had to depend upon God, the God who redeemed them and rescued them out of bondage. They had to depend upon him to daily provide through the wilderness, through the hard times. Now that can be a little uncomfortable. I, I, I want, give us this year our yearly bread, right? We, we, we want the whole thing. We want all and more, right? Than, than, than what we need. It's just, it feels a little better, a little more security there, right? When, when money is ultimately is not our security, our God is. We're to serve Him. We're to trust in Him. I love that on our bills, it says, in God we trust. It's a reminder. That's where our heart should be trusting. And yet practically, we may not be. We may live practically as atheists or deists when we don't pray. It's an expression of practical atheism or practical deism. It's that deism, it's, it's, it's the idea that God just kind of, he made everything and kind of wound it up like a clock and just let it go. And he's not personally involved and active in the life of creation. But he is. He's a good father who is actively involved He's a good creator. So this implies that God wants us, and the fact that we are to pray daily for provisions, implies that God wants us to have a daily dependence upon His fatherly care and provision. A daily dependence upon Him. God, I need you. How many times do you pray that? I need you, Father. I need your help today. I need your guidance today. I need your provision today. God, I don't know what to do in this situation today. God, I'm feeling pressure about this situation. God, I feel anxious about this situation. Oh, oh, what peace we often forfeit 
Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And our Heavenly Father's like, I just, all you got to do is ask. I'm here. Jesus is like, talk to your Father. Ask Him what you, what you need. Prioritize who He is and His kingdom. Don't let earthly things eclipse who He is in your life and your enjoyment of Him and your worship and adoration of Him and your pursuit of His will, His agenda for your life because His plans are good. He has much better plans than we have for our lives. And often in prayer we struggle because we, we have something different in mind how our life should go and how the world should be. And oftentimes, God answers, and He doesn't answer exactly in the way that we want Him or in the time that we want Him to answer those prayers. And so also we see in prayer this petition, forgive us. Forgive us. This implies self-examination. We need to think about where we're at, the things that we're thinking, saying, and doing. It implies that we are sinners in need of ongoing forgiveness. This is a disciple's prayer. This is a prayer that Christians are to pray. It also implies confession. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why would we continue in carrying the burden of guilt and shame and discouragement because of our sins where we have failed to love God and love people? Why would we continue our day without experiencing the immediate forgiveness and cleansing of that by simply saying, Father, will you forgive me for my unkind words or thoughts? Why would we carry that pressure on ourselves and go about each day when we can simply clear our conscience by coming to the Father in faith and saying, God, I've, I've sinned. Jesus died for our sins to give us access to God so that we can be forgiven and so that we can boldly come to our Heavenly Father and experience grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. We have access. Just just let this sink in for a moment. We have access to the wisest person in the world, the wisest person in the galaxy. We can get wisdom from him. The Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives it freely to those who need it. We have access to the wealthiest person in the universe. Our Heavenly Father owns it all. And he's going to provide what we need. And we can say, hey, Father, would you share some of that? Need some help here with the bills, right? Rather than going straight to the credit cards. Let's go to prayer. Did we ask? Did we pray? Okay. We, we have access to the most loving, gracious, kind, patient person in the world. Why would we not approach him when we're hurting, when we're struggling? He can, Christ sympathizes with us. We have access to the most powerful person in the universe. You need strength? You need power, you need wisdom, you need provision, you need protection. Let's go, let's use the access that we have at any time. As a child 
children have access to mom and dad pretty much any time. Except if the door's locked, right? Now, but in the middle of the night, our five-year-old will come in there if he's scared, or if there's a problem, or if one of our children is sick, they can approach mom and dad at any time. Sometimes it's very inconvenient. But they have access to mom and dad. Because there are children and we love them. And we will help them. John Stott says this, and in, in, in light of our, this, this wrestle that we have with sin, prayer is key to our success in experiencing victory over sin. Prayer is key to experiencing change of heart, where our hearts are straying, that are, where our hearts are prone to wander. Prone to wander. John Stott says this, he says, One of the surest antidotes to the process of moral hardening is the disciplined practice of uncovering our sins of thought and outlook as well as word and indeed and the repentant forsaking of the same and so this is confession have y'all most of us know the acronym acts in prayer so there's adoration we come to god and with adoration we focus in on who he is there's confession we acknowledge our sin. There's thanksgiving. We thank God for what he's done, for who he is. And then supplication. We, we, we ask for those things that we need. Provision. Pardon. Now notice here in Luke 11, there's also this connection with forgiving others. Okay? So we are... Forgive us as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. One of the greatest hindrances in prayer is unresolved relational conflict that we have with others or, and or the failure to forgive others who've harmed us. We're instructed in Colossians 3.13 that we are to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. We are to treat one another better than we deserve with grace. With mercy, just like we've experienced from the Father. We're to bear with one another. Just like God God is patient with us. God is forgiving and gracious towards us. All our relationships would look so much more different if we treated others like God treats us. They would be healthy. They would be gospel-centered. And it would help us resolve conflict more effectively if we would do this. And so who are we to hold unforgiveness towards anyone else that, that we perceive doesn't deserve it when God has given us unmerited forgiveness? We should be humbled by the reality that we need forgiveness from God. And we need ongoing forgiveness from God. Now, it is true. As Ephesians 1 7 says, we have, we have redemption through, we have forgiveness and redemption through the blood of Jesus. That is true. We have been forgiven. And so there, there poses a, a challenge here for some as we read this. Well, if we've been forgiven all our sins, past, present, and future, well, why would we say, Father, forgive us? Why would this be a part of our prayer? Why would 1 John 1, 9, would we confess our sins? Because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And yet he says in, in 1 John, if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. 
And the truth is not in us. So there's a problem here, or a parent problem that we need to resolve. J.I. Packer in his book, Growing in Christ, describes this challenge here. And I think he does a good job bringing some resolve here. He says, a problem arises. If Christ's death atoned for all sins, past, present, and future, as it did, and if God's verdict, justifying the believer, quote, I accept you as righteous for Jesus' sake, is eternally valid, as it is, why need the Christian mention his daily sins to God at all? The answer lies in distinguishing between God as judge and as a father, between being a justified sinner and adopted son. The Lord's Prayer is the family prayer. In which God's adopted children address their father. Though their daily failures do not overthrow their justification. Things will not be right between them and their father. Till they have said sorry. And asked him to overlook the ways they have let him down. Unless Christians come to God each time as returning prodigals. Their prayer will be as unreal as that of the Pharisee in Jesus' parable. And so we come saying, Father, be merciful to me. Forgive me. Right? Because it affects our communion with our Heavenly Father. Prayer, unconfessed sin, unrepented of sin that we're aware of, it affects our communion with God as Father. And so we bring those things to him. We confess those things to him. Now, we're also to be proactive in this praying. We're to pray, lead us not into temptation. Now, we know in James chapter 1 that God doesn't tempt with evil, nor can he be tempted by anyone, right? And so, one theologian describes this as, what this means here is, is, another way to paraphrase it is, cause us not to give into temptation, and I think this is a good way to see it here. Help us not to, to yield to temptation. Help us not to be overcome by temptation. May we walk in victory over it. Prayer helps us resist and overcome the temptations that come our way. Jesus instructed his disciples in the garden to watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Right? So if the disciples needed to do that, how much more are you and I? Just as much you and I need to say, Lord, help me. Help me to overcome. Help me not to to yield to the sinful flesh or the temptation that Satan presents. God promises us victory in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote the, the Corinthians and he said, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who with each temptation will make a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. And so we're to be proactive in looking for that way of escape and praying that God would help us take that way of escape. God is faithful. And because God is faithful, when we blow it, we can confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And God is faithful, and because He's faithful, when we're being tempted by sin, we can look to God for strength, and He will provide a way of escape every single time. So we can't say, the devil made me do it. We can't say there was no way out. God's provided a way of escape. 
for us to get victory. And so let us not surrender, throw up the white flag to sin in our lives and just say, that's just how I am and how I'm always going to be. I'm just an angry person or I'm just mean when I'm, when I'm hungry or when I'm sleepy or whatever the excuse is. Yeah, 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 get some food, get some rest, take care of yourself so that you're not responding in the way that you, you are. But, but acknowledge the unkindness as sin and the lack of love as sin or whatever the sin is that you're struggling with. So lead us not in temptation. And so here is one theologian summarized this pattern for prayer that Jesus gave us. And I like this. I find this helpful. We see in this prayer God's paternity. We come to him as father. We see God's priority. We hallow his name and we're to, we're to pray and petition for his name to be honored and not taken in vain and not blasphemed and not mistreated. We pray for his kingdom. We see God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We can talk to God about this. All right. And don't fear that you're, you're falling into like the prosperity gospel because you're asking God for some help with your provisions. All right, God delights to take care of his children. We see God's pardon in this prayer that is provided for us. And we see God's protection, God's deliverance from sin and deliverance from evil. Matthew adds in, lead us, uh, deliver us from the evil one. Which I think uh, implies that there is spiritual warfare, that we engage in spiritual warfare and we fight and we stand and we resist Satan by praying. You know, some things in life aren't, aren't just physical challenges and aren't just we don't we don't work our way out of certain problems that by, by merely reasoning and thinking about the best thing to do or using all our discipline and strength that we have. Oftentimes, there's spiritual warfare occurring and we need to pray. We need to stand against the, the, spiritual, the invisible powers that be that seek to lure away and discourage and bring down God's people. So Jesus then teaches us about persistence in prayer. He, he gives the illustration of a friend in need of some bread. He says, which of you who has a friend goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, those of us who are parents can can sympathize with this guy who's in the house. Don't, don't you wake up my kids now. We're asleep, all right? You need some bread? Right now? Like, come on, man. Right? So we see this kind of, this little, a bit of some pushback here. I'm, hey, we're all asleep. The kids are in bed. We got the newborn. All right? Don't you wake up the newborn. Mama is not going to be happy. All right? And, and, and so, it's reasonable. But, but in the ancient world, hospitality was a, a really big deal. And so it was expected that in a situation like this, that a friend or a neighbor would say, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll give, I'll give you what you need, even if it's an inconvenience. And what Jesus does is he contrasts this person with, with God. Where, you know, in prayer, we're not trying to overcome some reluctance in God to give us what we need. All right. We are we're partnering with him and his will and the chosen means that he has for prayer to for 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 his will and his kingdom and his provision to come. 
in our lives, to experience it. Some of us don't experience things in this life because we simply don't ask. I mean, I've had some conversations even recently and talking to somebody about some situations. And, and I just said, hey, have you asked God about that? And I do that with myself sometimes where I'm wrestling with something. I'm trying to figure out this problem or this struggle. And it's like, did I pray about this? I need to ask. I just simply need to ask my father to help me with this and trust that he's going to help me. And that's what Jesus teaches his followers to do. He teaches his followers to do that persistently. Notice what he says. He says, I tell you that though he will not get up and give him anything he needs because he's his friend, but because of his impudence, he will rise and give whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. All right. What I see in this guy is a shameless persistence. Okay? He is just, he's not going to quit. Now, some of us may have some children like that. Just a shameless persistence, right? They are going to persevere until they get what they're asking for. So the, the Greek word here that's translated in the ESV is impudence. It's only used one time in the Bible, uh, and it means shameless or persistent. It, other translations may per, use persistence. Or without regard to time, place, or person. There's just this tenacity, this idea of tenacity. They're just, they're going for it. Like Jacob wrestling with God. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Now again, we're not trying to overcome some reluctance in God. God is willing and eager to give us what we need when we need it at the right time. As parents, we know that there are things we want to give our children that, that, that we're not going to give them until they reach a certain age and show a certain amount of responsibility so that that thing doesn't hurt them. And God gives good gifts to his children, but he requires that we ask. He tells us to ask. And this ask is not just a one-time ask. The Greek here is ask and keep asking. Some modern translations bring this out. Ask and keep asking. Don't stop asking. All right? Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. Because if you ask and you seek and you knock, you're going to get what you ask for. You're going to find what you're looking for. You're going to have a door opened to you. If we're praying according to God's will. And so let us be people who are tenacious like the persistent widow in Luke 18. Jesus told that parable so that men should pray always and not lose heart. She was like, get justice for me. Get justice for me. I've been done wrong. And there was this unjust judge who hears the case and he's like, you know, pushing back. And he doesn't give her what she wants immediately. But eventually he does because she would not stop asking. And, and, and Jesus does the same thing with that story. He says, if, if, here's what the judge, just, unjust judge says. If, if he answers this petition because of her persistence, how much more will God answer his elect who cry out to him day and night for justice? Get justice. And so we are to be persistent like the persistent widow, like the friend who is shameless, who has a shameless ask in the middle of the night for some bread. 
And we're to do so knowing that God is not some grouchy, cosmic grouch who's reluctant to give good things to his children. He is eager and willing. But he says, ask. And lastly, let me finish with highlighting that Jesus teaches prayer as a parental conversation. And I've already highlighted this throughout. But Jesus uses this analogy. He says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, instead give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is describing a father who, uh, well, most fathers aren't going to be sarcastically cruel like he's like he's alluding to. Most fathers are not going to be sarcastically cruel and give a snake instead of a uh, uh, an egg or to give a, a serpent instead of a fish. Right. Most fathers want to give good gifts to their children. And as flawed and broken as we are. As much as we lack uh, God's character and God's love in our lives as fathers, we want to give good gifts to, to our children. How much more does our Heavenly Father give good gifts to His children, to those who ask Him? Matthew says good gifts, just good gifts at the end of that. Luke adds this in. He says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's a good gift right there. One of the best. God gives us himself. We get more of him in our lives. More of his help. More experiencing him and knowing him. And this is key to prayer. Because the Holy Spirit energizes, empowers, and directs prayer. We're told in the New Testament to pray in the Spirit. We are to have spirit energized and directed prayers because each of us have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And though at times we feel what Paul says is true, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. Romans 8, 26. But the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses with groanings too deep for words. He makes intercession for us according to the will of God. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us guiding prayer and prayer is a major theme and the Holy Spirit is a major theme in Luke, volume 1, the Gospel of Luke, and Luke, volume 2, the book of Acts. If you read Luke and in, in, in the book of Acts, you will see prayer and the Holy Spirit and you see the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. You see lives being changed. You see, where there's much prayer, there's the Holy Spirit working. Where the Holy Spirit's working, there's much prayer. And we want to be about that here, faithfully and fervently. Praying, pouring our hearts out to God, our God who hears us, who sees us, who cares, who acts. And so let let me close with some application. Resolve to make time to seek God's face. Resolve in 2024 to make time time to seek God's face seek his face not just his hand not just what he can give you yes we need to ask for those things that we need but seek his face seek to have more of him in your life more of his influence more of his guidance more of his love in your life more of his reign in your life 
and schedule daily appointments with God and show up for them. And when you show up for those appointments, I mean, we make appointments with others and we show up for them, right? And, and when we show up, just simply talk to your heavenly father using the pattern of prayer that we've learned about today. Use this pr- pattern of prayer. Now, don't just simply parrot it and recite it. God wants more than that, but you can start there. But think about our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. Lead us not in, as we forgive those who for, have sinned against us or uh, are indebted to us. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And, and lastly, allow the scriptures to shape your prayers. Jesus said in John fifteen seven, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be given to you. Right? And so if we want to learn how to pray the will of God, and we want to, we want to have more content to talk to God about, and we need to, we need to listen to. God also speaks. It's a conversation. Prayer is a conversation. It's not just us talking to God. It's a conversation that God starts and we respond to. Okay? God starts the conversation. He's invited you and I. He's drawn us in. If you're drawing near to prayer, it's because the Father has drawn you and you're responding to His wooing. You're bringing those things to Him in prayer. Let us pray. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to you, Lord, in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit and oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to you, God, in prayer. And so, Lord, lead us in this. Show us what this looks like. Help each one of us with the challenges, that the unique challenges that each of us face for making time, meaningful time, God-saturated time with you to fill us with your spirit, empower us, move us on to your agenda. May we be a prayerful people for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray.